From the Church of the Nazarene and Mesoamerica Genesis, you're listening to the Worthless Servants Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Worthless Servants Podcast. We are back at it again and it is good to have you guys here. I am Scott Armstrong um, and to my right, AJ Fry. Hey guys. To my left is Emily Armstrong. Hello everyone. We are not with Natalie Franco. Oh, oh sadly. Sad. Yeah, I know. Sad she day. she is uh, she was recently with someone with COVID and so she is feeling fine. But uh, yeah, she's not here. But across from me, Chelsea Fry. Fun facts with Chelsea. Fun fact, did you know that tickling is a defensive mechanism? Oh. Wait. To actual tick tickling? No, to, to <laughs> the, you're attacking me with a gun, so I'm going to tickle you. That's my defense mechanism. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, no. It usually doesn't work very well. No. Yeah, I've, I've not seen it work very well. No, it's like the reaction that you give when someone is tickling you is in response. It's a defense mechanism. Being ticklish is a defense yes. mechanism. Yes. Okay. So, mm. oh no. A defense of what, though? Just being tickled? What? No. Okay, so laughing when tickled in our sensitive spots, under arms, <laughs> near the throat, and under our feet, could be a defensive mechanism. Uh-oh, could be. <laughs> we are no longer in a fun fact. Possibly. A fun possible. Or possible fun fact. <laughs> a fun theory. <laughs> but fun theory. research suggests that we have evolved to send this signal out to show our submission to an aggressor. Huh. And to dispel a tense situation. Sometimes I wonder huh. about these. Like, <laughs> we've evolved to... Listen, when tickled, this is from BBC. So <laughs> yes, good, they good. know all things. It's true. I, I, was, I was thinking you were maybe going to cite tickle.com. <laughs> no. Don't visit that, by the way. <laughs> 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 we don't know what that is. <laughs> you need to be careful just throwing out random websites that you have We no do clue. not endorse it. <laughs> well... This episode is going to be a little bit different. Let me explain kind of what we're going to do. I labeled this episode, it's terrible. But Scott's I, good with titling. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I've always struggled with uh, new projects, new ministries, other things, find, <laughs> finding the title. And so this one, I just said, been thinking. So we've been thinking. So AJ maybe is thinking about something different than Emily is. And so we're all going to bring, it could be an article. It could be just uh, something that happened in our lives. It could be a book, um, something that is uh, interesting. And then we're going to talk about that. But it's maybe not something that could take an entire episode. And so we'll kind of go around. Some of these could be cut. And again, we want to crowdsource. Literally, please, if you are listening to this, send us ideas. Ben thinking is not what we want to land on for our final. I think it's fun. We could make a jingle one. for that. Yeah, it's, Ben thinking. That's true. All right, there you go. Wow. Oh, yeah. Sing it on a podcast. You can work on that. <laughs> Nata is going to clip that and make one. We'll see. Uh, so let's start real quick with um, Emily. Remember, I, before I even do that. Um, remember, these supposedly are going to have to do with missions, culture, leadership, something like that. Or it could be something that's impacting us personally as well. And so that's the type of podcast we are. Emily, do you have one? Okay. Well, I will kick us off. And I got an email. I'm a part of an email um, 
newsletter that I get probably once a month, and it's called the Evangelical Immigration Table. And obviously, if you hear the title, it here talks about immigration. <laughs> and that's something that I am pretty passionate about and want to educate myself on. And I like it because it comes from the Christian perspective of how we should think about immigrants. And I am an immigrant as a missionary. Obviously, I don't, I'm not from the Dominican Republic, but I live in the Dominican Republic. Um, and so they were sending an email. And I want to read just one of the paragraphs to you because it really caught my attention and it made me think. <laughs> Maybe that's what it could be. It made me think instead of been thinking. Oh, it made me good, think. That's a good one. <laughs> so it was talking about um, the fact that a lot of our decisions that we make on immigration with policy and things like that, that it's in the political spheres and it needs to be in political spheres, but how we get our um, actual facts. And so one of the paragraphs says, regrettably, though evangelical Christians would generally affirm the authority of the Bible as the inspired word of God, relatively few, just 12% according to LifeWay Research Poll, cite it as the primary influence on their thinking on immigration issues. More evangelical Christians cited the media, in quotes, than the Bible, the local church, or national Christian leaders combined. Okay, so what they're saying is they took this poll and the people that are that answered the poll said, you know, when I'm forming an opinion on immigration, I listen more to media. So the cable networks or what's on my Instagram or Facebook or whatever, as opposed to what my pastor is saying or even what the Bible says. Hmm. OK, so like this is what I want to talk about, because I've been thinking about it like we're all ordained hmm. pastors sitting in this con- in this room. And if we would say that only 12 percent of the people are listening to what we have to say on immigration as opposed to the media or on what we have to say on any topic, you know, and and even the Bible is authority. They would say that every Christian would say the Bible is authority, but they're making decisions that aren't run through the Bible. Um, what do you guys think we could change in the church or as leaders to increase that percentage? Why is the media voice so incredibly loud in the ears, at least on immigration, um, as opposed to a church voice, a pastoral voice, or even the Bible itself? That's a really low percentage. I wonder, first of all, if we're just not even really preaching about it. Like, I, I have to think, you know, and I was honest on this podcast several months ago, uh, just saying I hadn't preached on race exclusively. Now, I had talked about it in different places and uh, used certain verses, and especially when talking about cultures or missions, it it came up. But to say I I really spoke or preached on race, I hadn't done that. Mm -hmm. And I've corrected that, you know. But it makes me wonder, well, maybe some people are saying, yeah, that's the only place I really hear about immigration, you know, is through media. It's not Mm. at church. And if it's not at church, are a lot of Christians nowadays literally going to their Bible looking for, what does the Bible say about this? Sadly, I wonder if they're not. Right. Yeah. I also wonder how much interaction we are creating as the church with immigrants. Um, one of our past assignments was working with an immigration center, um, and we actually worked with undocumented immigrants. And we were in rural, rural uh, very uh, opinionated political <laughs> settings, let's just say that, about immigration. And um, our church body was very open to it because we brought in 
the person. Like we put a face hmm. on what who is an immigrant and created like this bond between mm. it. And so it wasn't just a theory. It wasn't just a political statement. Like this actually had a name and uh, an age put to it and um, a face. And I think that made a big difference because we had people that would say they were very anti-immigration mm. based probably on media stipulations. But then we would have them interact with these boys that we were ministering to and it would change their opinions and their mm. views almost instantly because they mm. realized, oh, like, these aren't criminals here to hurt me yeah. or take my jobs. Because mm. you actually get to know the person for the person they are instead of just a headline yeah. or a picture, you know. Yeah. I also wonder how much of it has to do with the idea of separation between church and state. I say idea because that really doesn't exist. <laughs> like, but... Because immigration is seen so much as a legal issue, mm -hmm. we don't go to the church for legal issues. Mm -hmm. We go to the media or to the government for legal issues, right? And so so we don't turn to the church. But in my opinion, the church should also be involved in those legal issues, right? The church, it shouldn't be one box is the church and one box is everything <laughs> right. else. You know, it should be, you know, all day, everyday life. Mm -hmm. And so. Well, and I've wondered... Sometimes I've wrestled with that. Like, I think that we should, I, we're part of a, a smaller church here in Dominican Republic and we're the pastors of that church. And I've wondered, what can we do? Like, I think we should yeah. be involved, you know, but we don't possess the legal expertise. Like sure. maybe we can put somebody in contact with someone. But again, the minimum that, that we, you know, that we can do is preach on this. Mm, what does the Bible sure. say? And have a hospitable setting for people from Haiti in this case, which, which are the, you know, the most of the immigrant immigrants here in Dominican Republic, mm -hmm. um, where it's just like, let's work with our leadership team and our congregation to make sure that what we can do, we can do, right? right? We might not be the experts in all these other areas, but we can play a role in this community regarding immigration. Yeah. I think you bring up another good point of like, you could point them to someone else, like someone who is trained in mm -hmm. dealing with immigrant law, uh, for example. I think that's another good option as well. M maybe if you don't know those people, get to know those people yeah. and see which organizations, if you have an option between organizations or which people are sympathetic and like actually want to do a good job and fight on behalf of the immigrant. Yeah. And this, you know, email that I got, the whole reason that Evangelical Association sent it out was because they were saying, like, just meditate on passages in the Bible about immigration. <laughs> because even though they don't use the word immigration, God has a whole lot to say about mm. the migrant or the foreigner in your lands. Mm. And um, and so they literally put together a 40-day campaign that you can every day read one passage that has to do. And they say, so just read it, meditate on it, and pray that the Lord would open up your eyes. <laughs> and they're convinced that after 40 days of people saying, okay, I'm just going to read one verse a day that God says something about this, that our hearts will start to be formed by that and, and molded by that. And I think that was really encouraging and 
it made me just think about, um, you know, that this email that I'm a part of is not a part of the Nazarene church per se, but it is a part of the greater Christian church. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to do a better job at like networking. We can't be the best in everything as like as a pastor, you know, or as a missionary. I can't be the resident expert on every single thing that the Bible says. Mm -hmm. However, I can be networked and help myself grow in different areas and help other people grow in areas. Um, And so that was interesting to me that uh, I think what I take from it, even as a person, is um, allowing the Bible to form us. I I think that we've got a lot of biblical illiteracy in Mm -hmm. the church that people don't read the Bible. They don't want to read the Bible. They don't engage with the Bible. They literally wait until a pastor will exegete it for them and tell them how to apply it, that they're not making those decisions. And so I think if somebody would take something, I think this probably exists, a 40-day campaign exists for every social topic in the world you know it could be that drug addiction is is what you're passionate about or you know immigration or you name it there's probably something that's been created but to immerse yourself intentionally in that world but in the word of scripture Mm -hmm. in that world to see how god's heart is formed in that uh that it could make us a stronger christian church in those realms we should note that one of the key leaders of the the national immigration table i believe is what it's called right is a nazarene evangelical immigration evangelical Yeah, Yeah. as a denomination, we have actually sided with this organization. Yeah, officially. Yeah, we we back them Mm -hmm. as a denomination. Yeah, awesome. Good. Thank you. Good. Good first dip into the I've been thinking. Chelsea, what do you have? So for my what I can't stop thinking about is uh, we've read a book recently called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by Mm. John Mark Comer. And uh, shout out to John Mark Comer. He has no clue who I am. Because we know you're listening. He, <laughs> uh, yeah. he might, he you listens. know. Sometime I'm going to visit their life. It's cool. Uh, uh, visit their life. Visit their life. <laughs> yeah. Sounds a little new age-ish. <laughs> <laughs> um, but his, the whole book is pretty evident in the title, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. But one of the things just this week that I caught myself remembering from the book was choosing the slower option. And um, it is hard sometimes. I'm already cringing <laughs> over here. I'm just, looking at Scott's face oh, and I'm shoot. like, I might need to get him the book. <laughs> um, no, don't do that. <laughs> uh, he talks about like when you're at the grocery store, like choose the longer line or the slower checker. Or, um, like, choosing the slow lane in traffic and going below the speed limit. Not ridiculously below the speed limit. Don't be that person. No, he says go the speed limit. Like, right on the speed limit. Not slower, not any faster, just right on the money. There you go. And so, um, and it's a practice of patience. And so, a lot of times, I envy AJ because I think he has the most patience I've ever seen in any person. And I'm always like, I just need to be more patient like you. And then when we do things like get in the slower line, I'm like, I gotta get out of here. (laughs) I can't handle it. And so I just this week, we were driving back from somewhere and traffic in Santo Domingo over the last year, year and a half has drastically increased on the way to our house where we live. And um, I caught myself saying to AJ, I have this expectation that traffic should move at the same speed that it did a year and a half ago, but it isn't ever Mm -hmm. going to do that again. And so if I just change my expectation to be like, 
this is our drive and it's okay and it's way more pleasant and life is good. And that's, mm. <laughs> yeah. The reason that I brought this to this podcast was because he talks about how anti-cultural this is. Totally. Not even yeah. just U.S. He is a U.S. author, but like around the world, we are moving more towards production and less relational, even in our relationship cultures. And he says that is not biblical. And his whole case mm. is the Bible calls for us to get rid of hurry. Those who know us know that we talk about urban mission a lot. And it mm -hmm. makes me wonder how many of our urbanites would hear this concept mm. of like, don't even look for the fastest aisle at the grocery store, you know, <laughs> and take it easy when you're in traffic. Like, I just, as you were talking about it, literally in my stomach, I was like, I don't think I could ever do that. <laughs> and like, you were just saying, you, we need to buy him the book. And I was like, if you buy me the book, I have no excuse to continue the way that I am. You know, I, I, I have now been under its uh, conviction. But yeah, I mean, you're right. How can we do urban ministry, ministry at all, really? But how can we do urban ministry with still this, calm in our souls. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. I like that. I think, I mean, cause when we think about different strategies for urban, urban ministry, the things that I've heard before or even thought is like, well, everybody else is in a hurry. So we have to, we have to make the, whatever our service looks like, whatever our gatherings look like that has to be, you know, concise to the point on time, you know, punctual so that these people can get back to their quote unquote regular lives. Right. Mm -hmm. But what if it's completely opposite of that? Like yeah. what if we intentionally slow down even during our services or our gatherings just to say, let's take this time to breathe mm -hmm. and really think about what we're learning, really think about what we're talking about or reading or um, engaging in and find God in that place. Yeah. He talked about, my favorite one was he talked about going to a coffee shop and not taking his phone with him. So all he had at the table with him was a cup of coffee. And he said he got crazy looks <laughs> because he was the only person in there without a distraction. <laughs> so he just had his cup of coffee and like, what are you supposed to do with your eyes? If you, you're not sitting at the table with anyone, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> mm -hmm. Drink your coffee and stare at people? Like, <laughs> that is amazing. Like even from 20, maybe 30 years ago, what would have been normal? Someone goes to get coffee at a coffee shop. But Isn't even the culture of a coffee shop did not exist 30 years that's ago. True. Yeah. Like, if you think about that's it, true. that it wouldn't have come up. I yeah. don't think people wouldn't just sit around to drink a yeah. cup of coffee. But yeah. how that's even changed now for people to be like, is he a spy? You know? yeah. Yeah, like, this guy's a freak. <laughs> this guy's a yeah. freak. Not even a newspaper. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I would even say that um, it reminds me, maybe, Scott, you can help me with the author. It reminds me of the book From Foreign to Familiar. Do you remember who wrote that oh, book? Oh, yeah. I'll look it up as okay. you're talking. Scott will look it up. But the author talks about um, hot cultures and cold cultures. And the hot cultures would be the ones that are more relational uh, cultures mm -hmm. and cold cultures are not. And being from the United States, we are a cold culture. Right. We are very time-oriented and... So I would even say, you know, hearing what you're talking about, if you are from a cold culture, some European countries are cold cultures, and it's not a knock on hot and cold, like there's one that's better than the other. She just uses that vocabulary mm -hmm. to help mm -hmm. see time in relation. And uh, But one thing that I think that if you are from a cold 
culture that it would be super helpful. Sarah Lanier is I, I, the, is I just the other. <laughs> Look at straight as cut. I remembered her name, but it would be helpful to start practicing some of those things of like take out some of the hurry. Even in your cold culture, you can slow yourself mm. down because definitely crossing the lines to a hot culture, going to be a part of those cultures, you will find yourself so overwhelmed by the slowness of life, even though it is picking up and yeah. and is fast in in mm-hmm. in the warm and hot cultures. There still are things I remember from our first couple. Of years that we lived in Guatemala, there was one person that I told Scott, I'm never inviting that family over to dinner again, because every time we would set a dinner time, they were never there, never there on time. I could never get dinner on the table at the time. Like it was never going to be hot when they got there. And like two or three times, I remember one specific time that Scott called and they were like, oh, we're on our way. And we totally knew they weren't on the way. And they lived like an hour from us because of traffic. And I remember telling Scott- You could hear in the background that they were at their house. (laughs) Right. Like we just knew they weren't on their way. But like hearing you talk about, you know, what if I had been in this practice of, you know, practicing patience and being in a, a slower checkout lane and stuff that maybe even crossing over to a hot culture would have been a little bit easier as Mm. a cold culture going to a hot culture that probably was a good practice that I didn't even know about that I would say start practicing those things if you feel like God has a missionary call on your life. (laughs) That's good. We've done episodes on Sabbath and on rest. And so look those up and thank you for bringing that. That's really good. good. AJ, I'm curious to see what you've been thinking about. Yeah. So I I don't necessarily know if this one's super deep. But Chelsea and I have been reading this fictional book series, and a a big part of it is like separating people out into different groups. But the like society has become so war torn and so violent that they start blaming this violence on like their genes. Okay, and so they they try to figure out a way how to manipulate the genes so that you don't have these violent tendencies. Okay, mm-hmm. and so then there's people called uh, like you, you got to be careful. Right, spoiler that's, alert. That's why I didn't I didn't name the book. So if you don't if you haven't read it, then you don't know. You don't know. I thought um, you were going to say you got to be careful. Define genes. It's not the oh. other kind. <laughs> no, not like Levi's or Wranglers or anything. But so there's like genetically pure people, and then genetically damaged is what they call them. And uh, these genetically pure people are supposed to save humanity um, Mm -hmm. because they'll, you know, they'll reproduce and then they'll have more genetically pure people. And then everybody will be happy and nice and get along together. Um, But that doesn't happen because deep inside of us, human beings are, are flawed. Like the book doesn't mention a spiritual aspect to it, but there is that sin element. Right. Mm -hmm. And just how they, how the book takes it from in our society, especially in the United States, there's a huge battle on ethnicity and race and skin color and the rights that people have according to your skin color. And this book kind of takes it deeper onto a genetic level. So they're not necessarily looking at physical aspects, but the things you can't see. This is what makes you different. And this is why you you are damaged, you know. Mm-hmm. And it just made me think like, how deep our prejudices go, how mm. deep our, and I can say racism even, how deep our racism or our ethnocentrism goes. And like, is there a limit? Is there an answer to any of it? Mm. It's very overwhelming to me just to think in this fictional book, how deep and how far they go, these fictional characters. But is that far behind what 
what we're heading into, you know, mm. like, where's the end? Is there an end? I used to think that, you know, with, with these sci-fi uh, movies and different things that, oh man, we're so far from that, you know, but <laughs> the genetic splicing and different things that yeah. is happening right now, mm-hmm. combined with what we've seen, not just in the U.S., but many countries where it's like, we don't want those people. It could be of mm-hmm. race. It could be, we just talked about immigration. Mm-hmm. It could be poverty as well. You know, we don't want those people right. in our community, in our nation, you know, and then combined with the technological and scientific advances um, or advancements, I wonder truly like, are we far off from something pretty dangerous, you know? And yeah. I don't want to go into, I mean, we know this book is fiction, but you know, the, oh, I forget the the passage from Ecclesiastes, but uh, there's a verse that says basically the thoughts of man are are, are always inclined towards wrong or towards mm-hmm. sin, you know? What did you say? Towards evil. Towards evil, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, we think we're getting better. We think more science is going to help us, you know? Yeah. But combined with sin, there's some scary things that could come, come away from this, you know? Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, digging into the history that we have, like there are things that are in our history of that you can see where there's been tried to be purification of people with disabilities and stuff like that. Like forced sterilization is a part of a lot of countries' histories that like if you have not learned about it, it's probably a part of many, many cultures around the world of forced sterilization. But it's with that mindset of like, well, you're not what we consider to be the perfect. And it's because we're so against uh, any kind of, if you don't have spirituality, especially Christianity, of what we would say of seeing people in God's image. Yeah. Like if you cannot give basic living rights to anybody that is born as being made in God's image, there's something about God that is exists in this person, regardless of what they look like or who they are or what they can do or can't do, that you will constantly say there's going to be a standard that is the perfect standard. Nobody's ever going to live up to it. And there is a ton of history yeah. that I've learned about just in the past two years that's like, what? And, and they're yeah. the stories. They're like, what? Forced sterilization? That was in 1960s? That was in, ni- yeah. like, literally within the past hundred years we've and been in dealing. in our countries. And yeah. without the technology of science. Right. And now they've got this CRISPR gene that, like, can go in and yeah. literally find one little piece on the gene and be like, oh, we're going to we're gonna give you blue eyes. Like, we can do yes. that in science now. That's already. And they're yeah. talking about how to we put this into our world and all of a sudden it gets into like the Marvel universe, you know, of like creating these perfect things. And it is crazy to live in that world. Yeah. What was interesting about it is the main character, one of the main characters of the book. So the groups that they have put all these people into are based on their genetic disability or their genetic differences. And so they've grouped themselves based on their genes tendencies. Mm -hmm. And, um, the genetically pure people can't identify with any of the groups. With any one group. Right. They mm. identify with all of them because they've been healed. I say that in air quotes. And this one main character, he says that he would like to be every characteristic, the good in every different group. And you think that he is a healed, a genetically healed person and mm-hmm. they, they do the genetic test and he's not. So he has learned this adapted ability to like see the good and tr- strive for the good, but still just based on his genetics, he is not accepted. Right. Even though like we would say like he's been redeemed mentally, 
He's choosing the right thing. And I'm just so, that's so, there's so many implications for that. And the other parallel between that and like real life is once he was told that he was genetically damaged, he saw himself as genetically damaged. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like he didn't think of himself as that way before, like there was something wrong with him before. But as soon as this computer screen told him that he was different, Mm -hmm. as soon as someone else told him he was different, he started to see himself that way. And Mm -hmm. he... He didn't like himself then. Yeah. He liked himself before, but as soon as he got this result. The label. Yeah, the label. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. it changed. It changes it's out, so outlook damaging. on life. Yeah. I, th- I think the danger is always that it doesn't come from just this explicit or over-the-top racism, usually. Mm-hmm. It comes from the, this is a way to better our society. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is a way. Yeah. It, I think it's, it's good. Yeah, the common good will mm-hmm. be better right. if we eliminate some of these aspects right. from people or some of these people, honestly. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and that's the the true danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very slippery slope. You yeah. know. Cool. Thank, do you want to say the title of that book? Or? I don't because I don't want to ruin it for anybody who wants to we read it. We actually know oh, okay. we know a young woman of your family that is reading that said books, so we don't want to ruin don't it. Don't want to ruin it. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't listen to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will finish us up with um, what I've been thinking about recently. And this comes from the, uh, the Church of the Nazarene, but in the African region, right? And so this was actually from May 5th, but I recently had a a conversation uh, that made me think about this again. May 5th, there was a news release, Church of the Nazarene, Africa region. And I won't read it all, but essentially it says from the regional director, Dr. Daniel Gomes, and uh, he says uh, that basically we have named a new finance coordinator for the region. Now, that's pretty important. Mm. Those who have been with us since the beginning on this podcast know that Freya Galindo hey, Frey. <laughs> <laughs> um, is a part of our region still, but she's not a part of this podcast, not living in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic with us. But she is the regional finance coordinator for the Mesoamerica region, living uh, now in Panama City. So the regional director, Daniel Gomes, says... We have a new regional finance coordinator, and guess who it is? It is Carlos Gordon, who happens to be from our region, a country called Jamaica. Nice. So, um, so he, this is a guy that we have walked with for, you know, he's a 30-something, you know, and we've walked with him through, um, I, I remember... We were at Focus, AJ and uh, Emily and, and I were at Focus, uh, which is a regional conf- uh, youth congress in Panama City. And Carlos was speaking Spanish, although he's from Jamaica. <laughs> and uh, he, I guess you have to if you're named Carlos, right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, just he expressed a missions call, I think even before that. We walked with him through that. He participated in different things. And, uh, and now he is the regional finance coordinator. And why have I been thinking about that recently? I just touched bases with him. I, I said... You know, have you even been able to travel? No, of course not. Uh, He has been operating as the regional finance coordinator from Jamaica because he hasn't been able to be sent officially to Johannesburg, South Africa. And I said, how are you feeling during this time? You know, and he said, I'm doing well. I'm I'm tired, you know, but Mm -hmm. I'm doing really well. And I said, keep on keeping on, but also take time to rest and know that you're not alone, you know. And I think it would be awesome if, uh, you know, just around, you know, this region, anyone that's listening, 
uh, would say, hey, we're going to pray for Carlos Gordon. We're going to pray for our own missionary sent from our region to go overseas, to go to Africa. So have you, do you remember anything about Carlos? Probably not from your time. I in don't know. I met so many people. Yeah. <laughs> and Emily, like, do you, do you want to say anything about just the process of, of walking through this with him? No, not necessarily the process, but I think what I admire about Carlos is he has always been very aware of God's timing in his life. And if you hear his testimony, he'll always speak about God's timing. And he's always been somebody that I feel like has been willing to say yes. But even when COVID started happening, like he literally was supposed to be on a plane like in April or May to go to Africa. And then all this oh, stuff man. started in March, you know. And I remember him saying, well, seems like every time I start getting going somewhere, God says, wait, you know, and like, huh. I think a big part of his testimony is, wait, maybe he needs to read the book of <laughs> cutting out hurry, you know. <laughs> but um I think it's interesting to see how God's forming him and, and working in his life, even through the weight. And a big part of something that Scott and I preach about missionary call and things like that is there's a lot of people that feel like they're just waiting, that they're in the waiting room. And we often say that, um, you know, you're not in the waiting room. When you feel like you're in that waiting stage, it's because God's preparing you for something. Mm -hmm. And so seeing you, seeing him being able to jump into the work, even though he's in Jamaica and he's being trained to do everything he needs to do, um, I just just am inspired that he's a missionary that literally has been mobilized in the middle of COVID. And um, yeah, I don't yeah, know that there's many cool. people that could claim that that's what their missionary story and testimony is. And so God's yeah. giving him um, a very unique testimony to share with our church. That is awesome. That's cool. Well, cool. This has been an interesting episode. I think we <laughs> might do this again. And so genetic altering, hurry, yeah, yeah. immigration. I knew it could be like this. And, and Finances. The, yeah. And in the in the future, like maybe we bring something that's kind of funny, you know, and uh, usually substantive was better. But, you know, something, something that could just be off the wall, too, is fine. But good. I, I think this was good. Remember, we're we're a podcast that kind of touches on a lot of these things. And so we'll continue to do that. But if there isn't anything else, I think we'll just sign off. We are the Worthless Servants and I'm Scott Armstrong. I'm AJ Fry. I'm Chelsea Fry. And I'm Emily Armstrong. And we'll talk with you next time. For more information, visit us on Facebook or at mesoamericagenesis.org.